All right, everybody, it is 12.30 on our first session of the new year. So, welcome back. Hope everybody had a good holiday. Um, my throat is a little hoarse because I was yelling at the TV last night. If you're an Alabama fan, I'll be praying actively against you. So, just know that. And... Uh, <laughs> I, I put it on social media. I love Alabama's little new Christian quarterback. He's a brother in Christ, but man, I hate his team. Uh, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Georgia alumni, if anybody didn't know that, if you're just here or watching on video. Born and raised. Bulldog for life. Um, but anyway, uh, it's a good way, other than that debacle, it's a good way to start the new year. And I'm glad to see you guys back. And we're going to have fun this year. We are kicking off. We're starting a study of the book of Deuteronomy. This is our fifth year together, more than our fifth year. Um, we started back in Genesis, and we're moving along. We're going to look at Deuteronomy a little bit today. We're going to do an overview to get the lay of the land and the purpose of the book. And that's the biggest thing about studying Scripture is the Gordon Fee, New Testament scholar, somebody asked him what's the thing, one thing he would change about Bible study in the church today. He said, I'd take the verses out. And what he meant by that were the verses and the chapters were never in Scripture to begin with. And what they've done is they've fragmented the Bible up into little sayings. And so instead of seeing this as books and letters and addresses, people see it as verse of the day, devotional uh, passage, you know, different things. And what that does is it robs us of the chance to see the overall story. And that's the key, I think, to understanding the Bible is seeing the overall story of Scripture and then where we fit into it. Because God could have given a list of do's and don'ts, and He could have given a systematic theology text, and He could have given a philosophical treatise on His existence, starting with creation and natural theology and working into soteriology and hamartology and eschatology. He did none of that. He did none of that. What He did was He gave us a story, and it was a story of Him in relationship with His people. So Deuteronomy, then, is the book that, in the Old Testament, it's... Um, it's been described as the heart of the Old Testament. Gordon Fee and Doug Stewart in their book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, says Deuteronomy is uh, basically the most important book, not just in the Old Testament, but they argue perhaps even in the New Testament as well. There's no book more foundational to how Jesus thought, how he prayed, and how he approached his entire life and mission than Deuteronomy. And we don't hear that a lot. Most of us, that's probably new. But it is when Paul and, and, and the apostles, you know, Peter, John, when they would go and preach the gospel in the synagogues and into the believer or to the uh, non-believers in the first century, they would preach Deuteronomy, Isaiah, Psalms. Those were the books they preached. They didn't preach the New Testament. Paul never led anybody down the Romans road, even though he wrote the book of Romans. Right? There's never... Peter never said, well, here are the four spiritual laws that you need to obey. They never did an altar call. Every head bow, every eye closed. No, eyes wide open, heads up. Look at what you're deciding and coming in to believe. Um, and it's not that any of those things that we equate with modern salvation are wrong. 
they're fine if they're part of the story and if they don't take the place of the foundation. And so Deuteronomy really is, in many ways, the foundation of the entire Bible because it's the summation of all of Torah. And Torah is the foundation of all of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is the foundation of all of the New Testament. So if we get the books that we've been studying, that's why we've been taking such a long time. You know, I joke, people are like, when are you... You know, I say something's in the New Testament. We'll get there in a few years. And it's, it's because, yeah, we don't need to rush through the Old Testament. You know, we've been in this study of the Old Testament for, you know, five years now. And that's okay. Like, that's actually good because I think that those of you that have been coming here throughout the years, some of you from the very beginning, some of you have come in more recently, but what you're hopefully getting is this, like, pouring concrete in the foundation of your house. You're shoring up those gaps and those those places where it's gotten out of whack or where there's been air that's filled in and it's settled and creaked and all that stuff that houses do. Well, what you're doing is we're injecting, by going through these books of the Bible, we're injecting a foundation not to tear the house down and start over again. Most of you come here with a relationship with the Lord already. Some of you may not. Uh, Most of you come here with some Bible study knowledge. Some of you may not. But what we're doing is building up and strengthening that foundation. So when you read and understand Deuteronomy then how you read and understand the New Testament comes alive. And I've used that analogy many times, but I'll repeat it again because it's worth bearing. And it's because the holiday season just came and many people got large flat screen TVs, right? And I've said before, you can watch, let's say last night's awful game. It was a good game, but sad game, tragic game for everybody except for some people. Uh, you could have wa- I could have watched that game on a small black and white TV. That's how everybody, that's how I grew up watching a lot of games. And I would have known the score. I would have known all of the, the, the yelling and all of the excitement and all of the heartbreak and all that stuff. It would have been there. I would have gotten it. It's not like I would have been watching another game. I would have gotten that. But watching it on a big screen, high definition, you know, new TV, lets me see all of the things so much more clearly, all of the details, whether his heel was out or whether it was on the line, you know, whether it was a face mask it was, or whether the refs missed the call. All of those things, I wouldn't be able to see that if I didn't have, you know, like I, I, I wouldn't have caught those things on the smaller screen. Well, that's how it is, I think, studying the New Testament, reading the New Testament with a foundation of Deuteronomy, with uh, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, with the Old Testament, turns the New Testament from a black and white to a high definition. And you see the details that you miss. So when you read, let's take the Gospels. We know the story. Jesus called, about to go start his ministry. was the first thing he does when he's baptized. He crosses through the waters of the Jordan, but instead of going into Israel, you guys are facing me, instead of crossing into Israel, like Israel did, he crosses the Jordan River and goes out into the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry. And while he's out in the wilderness in the beginning of his ministry, where he's being tested, Israel was tested in the wilderness, they failed, Jesus is tested, and every time he succeeds. Only then can he begin come back into the land and do the ministry that God had always called Israel to do. Because he was what? The true Israelite. He was the seed of Abraham, capital S. He, well, when he was out in the wilderness, every time he was tempted, Satan tempted him with what? Scripture. He's quoted from the Psalms or from the prophets. Every time Jesus rebuked him, he rebuked him by quoting Deuteronomy. The very book that was written in the very place 
where Jesus was, which is the wilderness on the other side of the Jordan. Not a coincidence. It's not like Jesus had a bunch of memory verses and he just pulled them randomly. He was intentionally reliving, taking on the destiny and the calling of Israel on himself as the only true faithful Israelite and getting it right where Israel went wrong so that he could then go back into the promised land and he could drive out the Canaanites. And in his case, the spiritual, the darkness. And then he could liberate God's people and draw all nations of the earth to himself, which is what Israel was supposed to do when they entered the land. Drive out the Canaanites, worship God, God alone, be faithful to the covenant, all the nations of the earth would come to be blessed through them. That was the plan. We've seen that for four years now, and that plan went off the rails many times. And it did because Israel was part of the problem. Israel was as sinful as any other part of humanity. So Jesus was doing what Israel couldn't, but he was doing it as the true Israelite. So it's not, again, it's not an accident, these passages in the New Testament that quote Deuteronomy. The, the, the very center, let's go Romans, the center, the high, not the center, excuse me, the high point of Romans, the absolute high point of the book of Romans, the, the pinnacle, is Romans chapter 10, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what Paul's entire argument builds up to. Romans is a masterpiece. It's, got, it's, just, it's amazing. We could spend 10 years in Romans and still wouldn't scratch the surface. But the book, at the key point of the letter of Romans, when it's talking about the destiny of national Israel, starts in chapter 9, goes through chapter 11. Paul's wrestling with the question of Israel was called to be faithful, but why then have so many of his fellow Jews rejected Messiah if Jesus is indeed the Messiah? And Paul's going and showing them how Jesus was the Messiah and Jesus' whole ministry, including the rejection of his own people, was part of God's plan all along so that God would draw in the Gentiles and Israel and all would be grafted into the true Israel, which is Jesus himself, at the height of that very pinnacle of the book. I say pinnacle because it's a chiasm. It starts with one thing and it works its way up and then it works its way back down and it addresses the things in a certain order. It's too much to get into now, but the point is at the very focal point of Romans chapter 10, he quotes from Deuteronomy. Right in the very beginning. He says, you know, you don't have to go up who will say who will ascend and who, who will go down and grab. No, the word is here. It's right here. It's near to your heart. That's, he's quoting Deuteronomy. He's quoting Moses' words about the book of Deuteronomy which was for Israel at the time, the word of God. And Paul's using that to say, yes, and that word, as our friend who wrote the gospel says, became flesh and dwelt among us. And he is the fulfillment of all of it. So there's so many layers and, 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 and uh, levels of depth to how the New Testament authors look at the Old Testament, particularly the book of Deuteronomy, that if we have even a cursory knowledge of the book, our reading of the New Testament will be transformed. We'll see the plan, and that'll then start to make sense of all these passages that you've always wondered about, or that you always may have thought was weird, or why is God doing it that way, or, or these history of Israel and how they've developed as people. Things start to become clearer. So another way, I'm big on analogies, another way to think of it as, is if you ever remember the days when you took pictures with cameras, not phones, Right? You had to look through the viewer. And what did you do if everything was blurry? You focused it, right? 
So you start out, you look through the camera, and you can kind of see, like, okay, there's the person, and there's the landscape, whatever, Mount Rushmore, whatever you take a picture of. Um, but it's out of focus. So what do you do? You turn, you adjust, and it gradually become, comes into focus until it's sharp. Well, that's what reading Scripture and seeing the big picture is like. We get the big picture. We see what God's doing. We've got an idea of where we're headed. As we go through now the books and the passages and the chapters and the actual contents, things start to come into focus. And the goal is that eventually things become crisp. We eventually see, but only by adjusting the lens. And we do that by what we're doing in this study, which is going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, seeing the themes, seeing the way it ties together, and, and listening to the voices of the people God has empowered with His Spirit for centuries to study and teach and interpret this. Now I say listening to, not relying upon. God is the teacher. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate instructor. However, the Holy Spirit has given His instruction through many people. So the, remember, the most arrogant statement you can say is, it's just me and the Holy Spirit. I don't need any book learning, any scholarship, any of that stuff. It sounds holy. It is from the devil. Because God specifically said it was Jesus Himself who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and teachers. So that the whole body can be built up and we can all come to maturity. So whenever we listen, that's what we do. We listen to the voices. We listen to what God said. I'll point out some resources that those of you that want to can actually dig deeper into this. But it's important to do that. Um, instead of being fed by one person, one celebrity Christian, one favorite pastor, one Ruth's Chris Bible study teacher. You know, don't listen to what I'm saying as well. Like, weigh everything. Filter voices. Listen to people outside of your own denomination because I guarantee you, your denomination is not 100% right. My denomination is not 100% right. None of us are because then we wouldn't need the rest of the body. Um, so that's part of what Deuteronomy is all about is the corporate people of God. God calling His people corporately to listen, to hear, and to obey. And more than anything, it's out of a sense of love. Deuteronomy is the book that's centered around love. The word love appears everywhere in the Old Testament. And God actually, when He gives these, uh, these what we call law, it's not actually law, it's preaching. He's, law was Exodus and Leviticus. And some of Numbers, but mostly Exodus and Leviticus is where we got law. What we get in Deuteronomy is not a second law, which is what Deuteronomy literally means. That's actually based on the mistranslation of a passage in Deuteronomy where God said, make a copy of this law. And early translations into Latin said that, oh, make a second law, Deuteronomos. But what God was saying was make a copy of the law. And then Deuteronomy was the preaching of that law to the people. Moses is in Deuteronomy. The, Moses, the lawgiver, is in Exodus. Moses, the pastor, is in Deuteronomy. So Daniel Block, who wrote, here's a, uh, one of the NIV application commentary. I have it on my Kindle here, which is why I'm holding it this way. But uh, Daniel Block, I've, I've actually met with him and thought about studying PhD under him up in Chicago. He did the volume on Deuteronomy, and he titled his commentary in this series, The Gospel According to Moses. Because he says that's what it is. And when I was talking to him, he was just finishing up that commentary. It hadn't been released yet, but we sat in his office. He was telling me. And his eyes, I mean, he's, you know, he was in his, I guess, the 70s. And, but his eyes were like a little kid because he was talking about Deuteronomy. He had just spent, you know, whatever, 10 years of his life studying, preaching, teaching. And he was just like gushing about how 
how much grace was in the book, how much gospel was in the book. And, and it was moving to see that. And I realized when I went back home, I started reading and studying it myself and realized, yeah, he's absolutely right. Deuteronomy is not law, it's preaching, it's exhortation. So in Deuteronomy, we're going to hear Moses as much as we hear Yahweh, right? We're going to hear Moses the shepherd. He was a shepherd for longer than any of us will ever live, unless any of us make it to like 140. <laughs> like he, he was a shepherd for a long time, and he shepherded these people. And in Deuteronomy, what we're hearing is the, the heart of a shepherd who's looking for his, at his flock, and it's like he's seeing over here, there's a valley that's so lush and green. And it's everything my sheep need. It's safe. There's no predators. It's amazing. Over here is a rocky, barren, predator-filled wasteland. And it's all going to hinge on where this flock goes in the coming days. As soon as they cross this river into the Jordan, and it's all metaphor, but it's going to be, will you choose life we choose death. And even more astounding is he sees not just that, but he sees them choosing death. And we get to the later ends of Deuteronomy chapter, and he sees them actually choosing death and being almost entirely wiped out. But even beyond that, he sees God's promise of provision that when it looks like everything's done and they're entirely wiped out, there's a remnant that will remain and they will repent. They will confess and they will turn back and God will lead them to those pastors. That's what he sees in the end of Deuteronomy. And the whole, some have even argued that Matthew's entire gospel is structured around that final section of Deuteronomy and Israel's calling and what they should or should not be and do. But the point is that Deuteronomy, Moses is preaching. You hear his heart as a, a shepherd. Shepherds, they have a rod and they have a staff, right? The rod is for beating predators. The staff, smacking the sheep when you need to. Um, both disciplining those who would attack the sheep and disciplining the sheep when they need it. And that's what you hear in Moses in Deuteronomy. There's sometimes where he's just laying into the sheep. And then there's sometimes where he's weeping over the sheep. And um, all of that you're going to hear. There's, in addition to uh, Daniel Block's commentary, there's three others I want to point out that some of you may find helpful depending on what level you want to go more than any of them, the number one commentary on Deuteronomy. This, I read this as a devotional about five years ago. Like each night I would just read a section in it because it's written at a popular level. But it's Chris Wright's commentary. All right, those of you who have been here, you know Christopher Wright is my favorite Old Testament theologian. And this, it's a little commentary on Deuteronomy. So good. This could be a devotional. I, would, I cannot highly enough recommend getting this and just using it as we journey through the book. Every week before you come here, sometime during the week, Read the chapter we're going to read in here in his insights. Because he combines pastoral and teaching insights with a theological depth that no one else that I've ever come across has been able to balance so well. So it's, it's a fantastic resource. And I'll leave it up here so you can look at it. The new cover on it's different. This is the old volume. But the, uh, then the other one, and I'm going to read a section from this in just a second to end this. But this is by a guy who's from Sri Lanka named Ijit Fernando. And this is his commentary on Deuteronomy, loving obedience to a loving God. And Ajit is, um, he's with Youth for Christ, he's associated with Billy Graham, he's written some commentaries on other books, um, teaching the gospel in Sri Lanka. 
those of you that are coming with us next year, or this year, I can say this year now, those of you that are coming with us to the Holy Land this year, he's going to do the morning Bible studies at the conference. So I'm really excited that we're going to be reading through Deuteronomy, and then some of us, and we still have room if you want to go, will actually be getting to listen and learn from him in Bethlehem, of all places. Very cool. And then the last one I mentioned, those of you that are theology nerds and you want to get a little deeper, uh, Peter Craigie, he wrote this volume in the New International Commentary series on the book of Deuteronomy. And this is really good, and it deals with some of the scholarly questions about Deuteronomy that raise their ugly heads, and they do. I say that because Deuteronomy, while it's an incredible book, it's also an incredibly contested book. And if you read uh, any commentary on Deuteronomy, you're going to come across all these different opinions. The one will start with who wrote it. The book claims Moses wrote it at the time of the Exodus or shortly thereafter, and then maybe it was edited after that to include things like his death and things where it says this is what it's called to this day, meaning that it's probably after Moses. But a number in the 1800s and 1900s, a number of scholars started introducing the idea that Deuteronomy was actually written way after the events that it describes, like in the 6th century B.C., and it was written by a group of, of whoever, and there's, this is where the debate all opens up, but it was written as if Moses had said it in order to get the people of Israel to live as the priests and the whoever was writing the book wanted them to live. So in other words, the whole thing is a work of pious fiction placed in the mouth of Moses. And that's a really popular view, even to this day. You go take a class at a university, you're going to hear about the different sources of Deuteronomy, the J source, the P source, the, uh, the, you know, the Deuteronomist. And you're going to hear all of these concepts and ideas. Just know that they're entirely hypothetical, based on nothing of actual substance. And, and I know this will rankle some people that have spent their lives studying it, but I'm willing to sit and talk with them anytime. The point is that Deuteronomy, everything about the book itself says, this is the words of Moses looking into the future and seeing what's going to happen. But some people read Deuteronomy, they read the history in Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Kings, Samuel, and they go, Deuteronomy's too, too accurate. It's too accurate. It must have been written after those events took place. Because God can't give a word of prophecy to His chief prophet in all of the Bible. Surely God can't do that. So the bias that scholars have when they examine Deuteronomy will really show in whether they see it as Moses actually being a prophet and seeing things in advance, or no, that can't happen, so it must have been written by a Deuteronomist school of writers and combined with the priestly school and the Yahwist and the Eloist, and they came together and it's been patched together and da 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 just so many, so many layers of nonsense on top of each other. Uh, and, and so I just want to be upfront with that because I know people are watching the video and they're following along and you hear a lot of different stuff about Deuteronomy. But just keep that in mind. The book itself claims something very different than what many scholars um, would claim about it. However, the commentaries that I've listed, they all do a really good job of engaging with those points and showing hey, here's, here's what the book says. Why not we listen to it? So I want to read this. Uh, we're going to end in a minute. I want to read this passage from um, Fernando's introduction because I love how he puts it. He says, this is the preface. He's writing like why he wrote the commentary. He says, why am I so excited about Deuteronomy? Primarily because in this book, Moses is attempting to do something that is still so important for all Christians. He's close to death. 
They're close to entering the promised land without him, the one who fed them for 40 years. Deuteronomy gives Moses' farewell addresses to them. His aim is to motivate them to go forward and conquer the land and help them be faithful to God amidst all the challenges to such faithfulness that they face. He warns them of challenges, he encourages them to a life of holiness, and he tells them the consequences of living and of failing to live such a life. All the time, Moses was aware of the temptation the people would have to compromise their faith by assimilating aspects of the Canaanite religion. Are these not some of our greatest challenges today? How can we remain faithful to God? How can we avoid compromise when the lure of society around us is so powerful? How can we help our children and the people we lead to be faithful? Deuteronomy tells us how Moses tackled these challenges. After citing a story that appears in Deuteronomy, Paul writes, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. That's 1 Corinthians 10. Therefore, I've approached every passage of Deuteronomy as having significance to Christians today, because all of Deuteronomy is part of God's inspired word. That affirmation should be accepted without question. But it's, it is often not, for many Christians think that in this era of grace, many of the teachings of the Old Testament are not significant for us. Indeed, we may not use some of the laws and regulations that are given there because they apply only to the Jewish nation, but the religion of this nation had the same basic ingredients that the Christian religion has today. Their life was to be a response of faith and obedience to the God who had graciously acted to redeem them. So even the laws that are specific to Israel have principles behind them that help us in the life of faith today. We must never forget that when the New Testament was written, the only Bible that the Christians had was the Old Testament. When they, quote, studied the Word, they studied the Old Testament. Therefore, it was not necessary for some of the things emphasized in the Old Testament to be emphasized again in the New Testament. The New Testament takes it for granted that Christians were very aware of these emphases. Some of these emphases are not very strong in the thinking of Christians today. Therefore, it's especially important that we study the Old Testament because the failure to do so that would result in our not being influenced by a key aspect of God's thinking. And that's what Deuteronomy is going to do this year as we study it. It's going to give you those things that were foundational for all of God's people that the New Testament then builds upon and expands upon. So this is for Ajit Fernando, A-J-I-T-H-F-E-R-N-A-N-D-O, Sri Lankan pastor. Fernando's his last name, yep. Um, so the study, I'm excited for it. I hope you guys come, continue to come back, continue to bring people. It's going to be great. Deuteronomy is a hard book at times. There's some stuff like we had with Exodus and like we had with Leviticus and Numbers that are going to make us cringe. They're going to make us flinch and go, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like the God I know because they're going to seem very harsh, and it'll be important at that point to realize the, the, the literary genre of Deuteronomy. And that's where things that we've looked at in uh, numbers will come into play in terms of things like hyperbole and military, um, like exalted language or exaggerated language that, that is used everywhere in Scripture. Um, and it will have an important it will be important for how we read and study Deuteronomy. So next week, we'll pick up, we'll look at the structure. Deuteronomy, the cool thing about Deuteronomy, the entire book has a very specific structure, and that structure just happens to match the structure of ancient Near East covenant treaties that we have elsewhere outside of the Bible. So we're going to see that it's not haphazard, it's not random, it actually follows a very specific pattern, and the purpose of that type of document we'll look at as we go into the book. 
So the first couple of weeks, we're going to be plotting a little bit slowly through the beginning of the book, but it's because, like with every book, you need the background, and none of us were born in the second millennium B.C. ancient Near East. So we have a lot of catching up to do. But throughout it, I think your eyes are going to be open to some really cool stuff. So I'm excited. It's going to be an awesome new year. Get excited. Tell people about the study. We video and audio record each week, and it'll be up on my website, discipledojo.org. Go there, subscribe, get on board. And if people missed the study last year, it's all available on the website as well, so they can follow along. All right, guys, have a great week. There's plenty of food if you want some seconds.